we're walking into a shop and customers talk, complaining that, hey, I've got a chip problem with this particular job, or I've got a uh, coolant delivery issue. In some cases, it's just noticing the things that they're using and having had experience with problems that you recognize and asking the customer, geez, are you having a problem with that manifold that you're using? Is it a pain in the ass to set up? This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Our guest on the show today is Jim Goslin, owner and president of Genevieve Swiss. Genevieve Swiss sells innovative accessories specifically for Swiss CNC lathes, such as live tooling and cutting tools, to combat problems small parts manufacturers are constantly dealing with. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am very honored to be with Jim Goslin, owner and president of Genevieve Swiss. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you, Noah. So just to start, I want to get just a brief overview of what Genevieve Swiss sells. And then I'm going to get a little little about you and then we'll go we'll go into some topics. But to get people started, what do you what do you guys do? What are you all about? I'll give you our headline. It's uh, Tools and Accessories that Advance Small Parts Manufacturing. Part of our mission is making the job of the machinist easier so that their day goes by a little bit better. Companies become a little bit more profitable with better efficiency, quicker setups. So that's, uh, that's what we're here for. Awesome. Perfect. Um, and now I want to get the three-minute life story of how you got to where you are today. Um, also, some more history of the company. You started out young person, assuming you were interested in mechanical stuff early on? Oh, I've always been interested in mechanical stuff. As a kid, I'd take apart my toys. Didn't necessarily get them back together the right way, but uh, <laughs> it, was, it was kind of a, a hobby trying to figure out how things worked. Mm-hmm. And then... Did you go to regular college or what did you study? Well, I actually quit high school. I went into the service to be a combat engineer, basically build things and blow things up. How old were you when you quit high school? You quit high school? I quit high school. Well, kids, this is a good lesson. This is where dropping out can lead. What grade were you in? I was a junior, so my third year in high school. So it just, you didn't fit into the mold. It was the 70s. What can I say? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you got into the military and then what? 
when I got out, I needed a job. Uh, eventually, I wound up uh, working at a company called Savage Arms in Westfield, Mass. They make uh, rifles and uh, shotguns, sporting equipment. Mm -hmm. And uh, after a couple of years there, there was an opportunity to uh, become a programmer uh, for new CNC machines that were coming in. And by the way, I did go back to school. I finished with uh, getting a GED and uh, started taking college courses at night. Okay. And at the first company, were you operating CNC lathes or were they not even CNC back then? This was the 80s? In uh, 1983, to be exact, uh, they had bought 10 Citizen machines and five Karaki machining centers. And I was responsible for the Citizen area. I didn't even know they had Citizen machines, CNC machines back in 1983. Yeah, they were state of the art back then. Two turrets with five stations each cross-drilling and milling capability. And uh, back then, it was actually a sliding guide bushing, not a sliding headstock, at least on those types of machines. So I'm, I'm really dating myself. That's why it was using turrets? Yeah, the turret and the guide bushing slid together. Wow, interesting. Okay, so you worked there, and then you became a programmer. I, I did the programming, uh, laid out the processes, did the maintenance on the machines. Uh, whenever something went wrong, I was the guy to get in and take care of it. And uh, I stayed there for uh, several years mm -hmm. and uh, left for an opportunity to uh, become an applications engineer and salesperson uh, with a company called Brookdale Associates back in 1987. And they were distributing citizens? They were distributing citizen machines in New England. Interesting. 1987. You did that a while, right? Like 15 years? Yeah, I was doing that uh, for 15 years. I, I left the company in 2002 to start Gen Swiss. Okay. So give me the story of how you decided to do Gen Swiss. Back in uh, the late 80s, we had gotten involved in uh, high-pressure coolant systems, building our own high-pressure coolant pumps for the machines. And that's when uh, high-pressure coolant on a Swiss-type machine really wasn't heard of. It, it was kind of a, something that we had gotten going, and we were using it for uh, not just drilling, but for turning, for grooving, for cutoff operations, for milling. Every, every process in the machine. We also had a line of accessories that uh, tool holders and different things that we were coming up with to enhance the machine capability. Mm. So we made a trip over to Europe. I think we visited five countries and made contact in Switzerland with a company that sold uh, live tooling. And they had some beautiful tools. They were state-of-the-art very attractive, very high precision. The uh, company reached out to me to offer selling the tools. Mm. So at that time, I had put together a business plan for my boss, figuring that Brookdale would sell these. And this was in 2002. And he said, Jim, it's a bad year. Uh, he says, if you want to start your own company, I'll back you 100% and I'll be your best customer. Interesting. And so that's what I did. Yeah, so 2002, is that, that was a tough time for the machining industry? That was the year that if you went to IMTS, you could use it as a bowling alley because <laughs> there was nothing in the way. The aisles were empty. Worse than 2008? Yeah, worse than 2008. 
Okay. So uh, you started this company and it evolved from just selling tooling to becoming a company to make people run their CNC Swiss machines better. Is that a good way of summarizing it? Yeah. And what I recognize then, and I think it's still true today, is uh, the very experienced operators, setup guys, programmers, there weren't a lot. And the ones that were around were already getting older. So the people with experience were getting kind of burnt out. Hmm. They were doing everything from programming to training to setting up the machines to being the guy that fixed the problems that came up every day. And I kind of looked at it as my mission to try to make their job a little easier, come up with products that could make the setups easier, come up with products that could uh, make the cycle more efficient. So you're saying products to make it easier for the new guys coming in? Right. And for the old guys, so that their job was a little bit easier. Interesting. So you developed live tools with gear-driven technology, you were telling me before. Can you explain what sort of development that was? Yeah, what I did was I worked with a company called PCM, uh, which is where we, where we get uh, our live tooling from. It's a Swiss company. And at the time, uh, there really weren't a lot of speeders for the CNC machine, the Swiss CNC machines. You know, it was, uh, I think, four to 5,000 RPM for cross drilling or cross milling. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not bad, but when you're dealing with an end mill that might only be 20 or 30 thousandths in diameter, 5,000 RPM just doesn't quite cut it. Okay. You have slow cycles, you get burrs. Uh, it's just not efficient. And I worked with PCM to develop a gear-driven head that would give you three times the output. Wow. Three times the output. You and PCM, you guys were the first. We were the first that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. And uh, it remained that way for several years. Were you able to patent that? No, we didn't patent that. No. Okay. So what are all the different things that Gen Swiss sells? Uh, we sell live tooling. We sell cutting tools uh, for Swiss, specifically for Swiss type machines. Uh, we don't really do anything for big lathes or milling machines. It's all geared around Swiss type and uh, small part manufacturing. Uh, we sell accessories like arbors for slitting, uh, very high precision. We sell uh, coolant specifically designed for high pressure coolant delivery. Some of the products that we have, here's one here. Oh, great. This is a thread whirling head. Wow. That uh, with this thread whirling head, PCM developed it to have coolant that comes right through the head and delivers right to the cutters. Yeah, be very descriptive for the people that are not watching this. This is a uh, cutter ring here. So the coolant would actually come right in between the, uh, the cutters. And this is a fairly new head that they've developed. It has a quick change ring on it as well. Okay. So it just slips in, quarter turn, locks in. And uh, it's a really nice uh, tool that they've, that they've developed. Yeah, it looks pretty heavy duty. Yep. You'd put that on any kind of Swiss machine? This actually goes on to, uh, I believe, an L20 okay. citizen machine. What would a thread whirling tool, would it go, could you take that 
from a citizen to a star? Like, or would you have to get a certain adapter or? Generally, you would have uh, a live tool that's made for that specific model of machine. Okay. Now, PCM did develop what they called modular tooling. These are small tools that a thread whirling head could have a changeable adapter and go from a citizen to a star to a Sagami, potentially. Interesting. Interesting. Let's talk about the stuff you see a lot of machinists, setup people, people operating Swiss deal with. What are the biggest hurdles that people call you with and that they're trying to to solve uh, to keep their machines going and to get the most out of the machines? Is, chips is is a big deal, correct? Chips is a really big deal. With the medical industry and materials like 465 stainless, chip control is a big problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, 15.5 pH. These are very gummy materials. Chips come off like ribbons. And one of the things that we're working with with our insert tooling company called Utilities is laser ground chip breakers. I don't know if you can see this or not, but I'll try to show it. Interesting. Wow, that's small. Yeah, it's small. This has a chip breaker right along the edge that's really uh, tuned for medical grade materials. And this was some 465 stainless steel that we took about 100,000 steps of cut in 465. And that's the kind of chip that we're getting with that chip breaker that's on here. Wow, that's so tiny. Before this, they were just ribbons. I mean, chips were everywhere in the the machine. It was very difficult to control, even with high-pressure coolant. Right, so your main weapons for dealing with chips would be uh, something like that. And then maybe the low frequency vibration feature on a citizen. LFV is something that the machine tool companies offer. It's not something that we can provide, Yeah, but it, it's certainly a, uh, a, a recognized uh, force that is really helping to solve chip problems. Mm-hmm. And then High pressure coolant, obviously, too. High pressure coolant is, uh, it's become such a powerful tool that I think probably more than 90% of Swiss type machines sold in this country have high pressure coolant systems on them. Really? Yeah. I haven't necessarily noticed that with some of the used ones, but it's possible that people are just pocketing the high pressure coolant pumps and not wanting to sell them with the machine. I've looked at some machines in Asia. And a lot of them didn't have high pressure coolant. What kind of parts do you not need high pressure coolant on? Just stuff that doesn't produce bad chips, material that doesn't. Right. Brass, uh, coral steels. But as soon as you start getting into stainless steels, titaniums, alloy steels, like for even 4140, high pressure coolant really becomes the tool of choice. It's kind of like taking a sledgehammer at that chip. And you're just blasting it with force. And uh, somebody's described it to me once as uh, blowing leaves off of your driveway. Interesting. Um, and so you guys sell the, the high pressure coolant pumps? We do not. They just come with the machine. Right. They're coming with the machine. What we do is we're selling the, uh, the tools that allow the coolant to get right down to the chip. High pressure coolant is a wonderful thing, but if you can't get it right to that tool tip, it's a problem. I bought my first machine about 10 years ago, 
and it had on a standard manifold that came with the high pressure coolant system and it was using brake tubing. You bought your first machine? Yes. You had never actually bought a Swiss machine yourself. Right. Now we're manufacturing in-house. So I bought the first one about 10 years ago. What did you buy? A Citizen? Because you knew Citizens? It was a Citizen because that's what I knew. Mm -hmm. The the brake tubing was an absolute pain in the the butt to try to get it focused at the chip or right right at the tool tip. Mm -hmm. They were hard to bend. Uh, You'd have to use nozzles that uh, would focus the jet of coolant. Uh, A lot of times you'd drill and and tap the end of it, and then you'd end up breaking the tubing off. You'd bend it too many times, the tubing would break. So now you'd have to reset it back up again. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started working with utilities developing through-the-tool coolant. Nobody was doing through-the-tool coolant before that? Very few companies were. There, there might have been one or two, but this is a, a tool. It's very a little bit difficult to see, but there's a hole right there, mm-hmm. and it's focused directly down at the tool tip. Ah. And coolant comes in either from the side or from the back, either one. So depending on the machine configuration, this is a little bit, it's adaptable for different kinds of machines. It can be used in a Star, Citizen, Sugami, Hanwha. What about it like a single spindle lathe? Absolutely. It can be for single spindle lathe. But this did such a, a, a much better job delivering that coolant where I needed it. And it saved me a lot of time that I didn't have to go screwing around with uh, brake tubing. Interesting. Yeah, I could see how those things would be a pain. Anything else you guys specifically sell that people say, oh my God, Jim, you changed our life in our shop? Uh, probably our Tylock product. It's an end mill extension. See if I can show it here. Yeah, you can see it. Yeah. You see the end mill, that end mills probably only about 20 thousandths in diameter and it sticks out roughly a quarter of an inch. Now with the the Swiss type machines, there's a point where your, your gang slide comes down to, and then you stick your tool out. And this is generally about the length that your tool would be sticking out past the collet. So if you could imagine this little guy here sticking out of your collet like that, mm-hmm. you lose all kinds of rigidity. It just starts moving around and flexing on you. You can't help it. But what we've done is we've integrated a more rigid neck onto the ER collet taper. It's a one-piece design, and it allows you to take up that space with the extension and just stick the end mill out only the amount that you need. Very interesting. How much of this stuff do you engineer yourself or do you just have a, a, a big team and you're kind of the, the visionary? We're a small company. There's uh, 19 people here. I'm the one that designed this product and it was only out of need. Uh, I needed mm-hmm. to get around a subspindle. I had a small tool. The subspindle was, you know, two and a half inch diameter nut. And I had a really small part to get down to. I needed an extension. So a lot of your innovation now is a product of you actually owning the machine. So it was Absolutely. It's a lot easier for you to come up with important products since you bought the machine. Right. Did you go, why didn't we buy this machine like ages ago? So then you could. <laughs> That's where I found most innovations come from the shop floor. 
So are you constantly asking your customers for feedback and saying, all right, what are you having trouble with? Come at me. And Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The, the problems in the shop, they, they don't go away. Once you've solved one problem, there's another job that comes in the door that uh, is going to present a new problem. How do you invite that feedback from people? Do you have like message boards? Are you constantly calling people and saying, is everything okay with your machines? It's really interacting with the customer or the distributors where we're walking into a shop and customers complaining that, hey, I've got a chip problem with this particular job, or I've got a uh, coolant delivery issue. In some cases, it's just noticing the things that they're using and having had experience with problems that you recognize and asking the customer, geez, are you having a problem with that manifold that you're using? Mm -hmm. Is it a pain in the ass to set up? An FYI to our thousands of listeners out there. We're always looking for new show sponsors, new ideas for episodes, and feedback. Obviously, positive feedback is nice, but if you have some constructive criticism, it's also really good. Feel free to send emails to the contact info on todaysmachiningworld.com. If they're interesting, maybe I'll read some on the air. Somebody told me that machines today, they're just not built like they were, say, 25 years ago. The castings aren't as rigid. And you suggested that despite that, they're more cleverly engineered. You want to just talk about that for a second? Yeah, we we have the older machines were designed with weight, not so much, you know, to get their rigidity, they built a very heavy machine. So the more metal around it, the more rigid it was going to be. And today, machines are built more intelligently. So where you don't need casting, they're using you know, CAD programs and uh, solid modeling, and they're doing uh, you know, stress analysis on their castings and on the headstocks, everything you know, that goes into the building of a machine. So I think the machines don't need to be as heavy, and they can still deliver the rigidity. Interesting. Where do you see Swiss machining? Where do you see the innovations of these machines, say, in, in 10 years? Can you look down the line and you say, oh, well, what if they could do this? Maybe they'll develop it. Well, some of the emerging technology right now is lasers on a Swiss-type machine. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty cool when you consider you can be doing uh, you know, laser cutting, milling, cross-drilling, turning. So you're talking about like on I saw on the citizen at the show where the part came off and well, before the part came off, they they lasered it to make more threads in the part or like for a bone screw. Or is that what you're talking about? Uh, Yeah. And I think these are being used a lot in the medical industry for endoscopy, but for a lot of different things that can be used for. But just that technology of lasers on a machine, that's pretty cool. I mean, thinking that that you could actually make two parts and then weld them together on the machine. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Where could it go from here? Well, 3D printing is certainly... uh, Right. Are any of the builders concerned that 3D printers may creep up on them and take away some of their business? I'm sure it's a concern at some point. Right now, 3D printing is slow. But it's only taken a few years to go from only being able to print plastic 
to mm-hmm. now they're printing titanium parts. So maybe in the future, uh, we'll have 3D printing Swiss machines. Who knows? What's something you learned last week? Uh, I never know everything. Okay. Well, was there something specific that made you realize that? Yeah. Talk to my wife. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I really appreciate the interview. This was so interesting. It's so nice when people bring all the products and we can try to paint a picture of it. And it's not so abstract, although it might be abstract for people just listening. So this is extra incentive to uh, check out the videos. And um, is there anything else you'd like to say to the people of the world? Keep moving forward. Make a difference. Well, uh, I appreciate it. And if anybody wants to check out Genevieve Swiss, uh, you can check out their website online, genswiss.com. What's the URL? Yep, genswiss.com. Awesome. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget to tell your friends. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch videos of extended interviews. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is William Steffi. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. 